Hi, I'm Jamie Wincup from Red Bull Racing Australia. I'm Dave Reynolds from the Bodlow Racing Team. Hi, I'm James Moffat from the Norton Hornets. Hi, I'm Chaz Mostert from Four Pepsi Max Crew, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. It is, look, it's great. It's a fun track. Um, I was conceived on the bulk, so um, <laughs> been, been here before. I wouldn't say it's the number one target on our radar. We're all about winning races and trying to win a championship at the moment, but, but we, you know, Kim and I chip away at it, but right now we have nothing. Sometimes they're not dickheads, you could say. It's just it's, they're just there's <laughs> good racing and I enjoy it. Yeah. From the racetracks across Australia and around the world, here's Inside Supercars. Hello and welcome to this week's show. Joining me to discuss the topics of the week, including the Gold Coast 600 at some point, is from Speed TV until Monday when it'll be Fox Sports, it's William Dale. Good afternoon. And also from Speed Week, it's Richard Kral. I'm on speed a bit too, but uh, the Shunners National's coverage does appear on uh, the Fox Sports family of networks, let's put it that way. Interesting lot of stories this week, going into the Gold Coast too, before a wheel was turned, and the return of the Sandman, that car looked fantastic out on the track. New Zealand, the split continues, and the scoop had the story about uh, how the New Zealand touring car season is kicking off, and of course our own driver's standards observer Jason Barguana is the defending champion of that, and interesting that they haven't at the New Zealand V8 Touring Car Championship. I haven't got the memo that the V8s aren't coming to New Zealand until November because they're still advertising that their final round is in conjunction with the V8s in April. William, V8's new rule package confirmed by Sydney, and that was uh, an interesting Speed Cafe story that you guys were also covering over there at News Limited. Oh, it's it's good that they're getting out there and they'll have that locked in nice and early. I mean, it'll be interesting to see what it all entails as to because there's been a lot of talk of course as to what the future direction of the category is going to be whether they're going to downsize cars whether they're going whether they're going to go to two-door cars what what kind of engine is going to be in those cars it's I'm, I'm honestly looking forward to seeing what we're going to be writing about in three years' time. And, of course, Vat Supercars also had a, a story about the teams signing off that rules package. Also, it was interesting, Richard, that the funding model is also being presented to teams and the rumours we were hearing about Archer wanting to buy more are being quelled in the V8 Supercar story and also James Phelps' story. Yeah, and they're generally fairly reliable with that kind of stuff, aren't they? Uh, yeah, it's fairly important, I think, and it's been one of the big stories of the last couple of years that the funding has been reduced, that the team's part of the sport, as it were, has been dropping down, and it was pretty important, clearly, that they find a way to bump up the revenue that the teams get, and, and clearly they've achieved that with this new financial model and the, the fantastic new TV deal for the next couple of years that's certainly going to help invigorate it. We know that teams are hurting. We know that the sponsorship market is very, very difficult at the moment, not just in V8s, but across the board. So the more that the series can chip into their teams and help keep them on the grid, then that's a positive, and that's probably something Formula 1 should look at uh, doing a little bit better, if we're perfectly honest. But that could be an entire another show for another day. Yeah, it might even bob up on Inside Motorsport as well over the next couple of weeks. Hey, uh, uh, interesting, William, that they're going to call this new car the Gen 2 Supercar. It is very interesting wording, isn't it, Craig? It leaves it rather open as to that they're not referring to it as a V8, which I guess they, they didn't the past one, but especially given the direction that they're considering, possibly, I guess, if having read reports out there from a few months ago, they're looking at possibly rebranding the category to try and shore it up for the future, possibly leaving V8s out of it. It's 
it's telling that they've left that out. It's also telling that they don't acknowledge anything pre-Cara of the future, sorry, new generation, because <laughs> new generation. Even, even though that was the fourth generation of car in a series that was formerly known as V8 Supercars, this next one's Gen 2, goddammit. <laughs> uh, I, think, I think you might be trying to read a little bit too much into that, maybe, Craig, but yeah, well, I mean, if you look at it on pure facts, yes, it's not the... Uh, it's not second generation, but it's the second generation of the new generation of cars, if that makes sense. From it's... that whole clean sheet that was cars of the future that's now the new generation. All this naming of cars, they're just, they're just race cars. It's just all complicated, isn't it? about to say I'll let out my inner nerd. It's Star Trek and the second Star Trek, which was Ratha Khan, but we're not going to call it Ratha Khan. <laughs> I like that. As a fellow uh, Star Trek enthusiast, I, uh, I like that. We need to take a break here. On the other side, we hear from a man who wasn't at the Gold Coast, but I caught up with him at his last Bathurst as a solo team entity. That, of course, is Dick Johnson. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Tune in each weekday morning for a fast-paced look at V8 Supercars with Supercars Today. It's a short, sharp look at what's happening across the V8 Supercars world. The only, the only things Ross is ever critical on are things that A, going to make the car go faster or B, going to make the race team look better. So he's, um, he's, he's honestly taken on board the, the team and, and always, you know, it's, it's great to see how much actually he's passionate. In Supercars Today, each weekday morning at sportradio.com.au or sign up for the podcast on iTunes. Hi, I'm Fabian Coulthard from Lockwood Racing, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do. Um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Dale Wood from Team Advam GB Gal, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. I guess in some ways it's an end of an era, the last time you come to Bathurst as a uh, majority or primary team owner and it's certainly been one of the weirdest I think you've ever had weird I don't think is the word for it to be quite honest um, this is amazing I've, I don't think I've ever seen a, a Bathurst like this and uh, it still ain't finished <laughs> so what, what do you think is, is the reason for it, last year the cars were so reliable and uh, this year, new track surface and some complications with that, but is there something you can put your finger on it? Uh, the track surface has a lot to do with it, I think. Um, it caught a lot of people out very early in the week, and and to be quite honest, um, it's still catching them out. Um, I think, um, not only that, but I think the uh, just the level of competition has grown so much that these guys are driving... Uh, sometimes a little bit over the limit you know so that's what actually that's what actually happens i suppose when you're trying to win but but like i keep trying to tell them i said this race is won in the last 20 to 25 laps and as you can see right now that's exactly what it's come down to so if you've got the right strategy you've got a, enough gas in the car and that and you've got a good car around you this is where you need it how have you felt now that all the announcements have been made and, you know, going going forward, what Dick Johnson and, and Dick Johnson Team Penske is going to be like? 
Well, Tim Sindrick and, and our new team manager, uh, Jeff uh, Schwarter, is, is, uh, have been out here for the week and um, they've, for the first time, viewed it, you know, firsthand. They're pretty impressed, I think. And, uh, and not only that, uh, they're in a position, I think, to say, well, um, we're going to sort of relish in the, in, in the challenge of, of uh, getting up to the front in V8 supercars. And, and uh, I think they're pretty impressed, to be quite honest. Like, the, the, the level of competition is pretty tough. Is there a load-off feeling in your, in your mind? Um, there will be when we stand on the top step of the podium. And I guess the other thing is, um, have they likened this? to the great American race or the uh, greatest spectacle in racing, Daytona and, and Indy? He said the same sort of stuff happens at Daytona and uh, he's come up with a couple of, um, should I say, a couple of little tricks that could have um, certainly helped us um, today. So, um, yeah, it's, there's a lot of things I think we can learn still. Mm. Well, one thing you can't doubt is just the uh, intent and the work workmanship of you boys having to rebuild cards left right and center well they've done a great job you know and that's what a team's all about and and that is something that really really impressed tim and uh, and also jeff because uh, at the end of the day at the end of the day we're in a situation where uh, it's all about the team you know so let's wait and see well it's been an interesting day and uh, a very interesting weekend yep certainly has and The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think, is a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as the supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back and we unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm Lee Holdsworth from Erebus Motorsport, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars, where William Dale and Richard Crail join me, Craig Ravel, and the Gold Coast. An interesting race. I always expect carnage at the Gold Coast, William, but I thought after the Bathurst we had, could we have any more carnage possibly happen in a race? And the answer was no. It was a fairly timid affair for the most part. It was remarkable, wasn't it? I guess, I guess in a way they got it all out of their system at Bathurst. I, I still can't believe the amount of cars that were and fine machinery that was bent at Bathurst. It was it was ridiculous. I mean, have you ever seen a race weekend like that? I, I don't think I have. Uh, not in this country, no. No. I mean, and I guess with that kind of weekend so fresh in the minds of everyone, going to the Gold Coast, which of course has a reputation as being a bit of a car breaker, we didn't really see a lot of people, I guess, racing each other super hard and being a bit a bit silly with some of the moves they were making, which was, I guess, a refreshing change for the Gold Coast. Yeah, unless you were, uh, were Shane Van Gisbergen. I'm not saying his moves were silly, but, man, they were uh, they were exciting. Yeah, look, it, it was a surprisingly sedate weekend in terms of carnage, and that place is such a car breaker. I, I think you're right, William. I think that Bathurst is pretty fresh in the memory of everybody, and especially the fact that we had, what, a couple of teams in replacement cars. They built up the 
this, the old original Ford car of the future at Erebus to replace Lee Holdsworth for the second time this year, his second car. They, uh, what was it, uh, Lucas Dumbrell borrowed a car as well, didn't they, uh, for Russell Ingle after the big crash at the end of the race up there. So maybe that helped a little bit. I think from memory, there was the big crash. James Moffat fenced it pretty pretty firmly in the later stages of race two, the second race on Sunday. But outside of that, it was pretty good. The, the only thing you did have was there were a lot of fairly patched up cars, a lot of rubbing. The usual 50 or 60 wing mirrors were dislodged. But you're right, aside from that, pretty remarkable. What I couldn't believe was the amount of reliability from cars that absolutely tumbled the curves. And you remember when the undertray came out of Van Gisbergen's car when he drilled the curb on the beach chicane late in race two, and that brilliant charge through the field. I'm surprised the front end of that thing didn't collapse, but just the undertray departed and it continued to drive on and the front bar stayed on the car. So I reckon they, I don't know, they built some Bristol, knowing NASCAR they build the Bristol spec cars with extra <laughs> bump protection in the front and rear bumper bars. You get the feeling they almost did the same for the Gold Coast on the weekend. Interesting that you both mentioned, uh, mentioned or I think you both mentioned Shane Van Gisbergen, because I didn't have this in the running notes because I wanted to save the story for myself later in the week, but I've got a feeling that there is a real rivalry and a real uh, bit of tension brewing between two young Kiwis who are in a, a bit of a competition to be the number one man in the land of the long white cloud. Yeah, they're, they're both sort of trying to be the next Greg Murphy. And I don't know if you guys noted that that press conference on Sunday was really interesting, really telling with Scotty McLaughlin's comments. And he's usually so forthright and, and open and I don't know, it's hard to explain the way he usually is in a press conference, pretty chipper, fun. Yes, his cool suit had failed during the race, so he was pretty hot and bothered. I spoke to him later in the night at the, the Porsche Awards in which he made an appearance and he was certainly much more refreshed and, and a bit more chatty then. But his comments about SVG were strange and, and just reading between the lines a little bit, there's certainly no love lost between the two of them. And, and I don't know if it's just the fact that they're both Kiwis and they're both fighting for the public support out of New Zealand or that they're just rivals that have found themselves together on track more often than not. But, yeah, it was strange. It was really, really interesting to get that kind of reaction. We all sat there in the presser at the end of Sunday and looked at each other and went, well, that's that's strange. We didn't expect that kind of a hesitant Amar reaction from Scott who was clearly trying to pick his words uh, without paying off. He was trying to restrain himself, I felt. Mm, he William? was very, very careful. Yeah, I, I wasn't there, but I watched it back on the Monday online. And if, you, if anyone listening to this, if you haven't seen it, go to v8supercars.com.au and have a look at it because Scotty was... You could see it in his face. He was yeah. being very, very careful with what he said. And as you said, Crowley, these guys have, these guys have found each other racing... They, they found each other on the racetrack a few times this year. If you cast your mind back to Barber Gallo when um, Van, young Van Gisbergen had the fading tyres on his on his on his Commodore and was struggling through the field and was um, flipping off McLaughlin as yeah. he was going down the straight. And I don't think Scotty was too happy about that. And you've got to wonder whether that was the beginning, or, and because they were racing side by side at Bathurst as well. It was. Yeah, it's Van Gisbergen on the inside when McLaughlin went to the wall, wasn't it? Mm, Correct. That's right. Correct. And yeah, but I don't, I don't think anyone expected Shane to make that move at the cutting either, and, and certainly that's what put McLaughlin offline. Scotty copped it for that crash. He, he had admitted culpability and responsibility for mm. putting the car in the wall, but I, I wonder if deep down there's a little bit more to it than that. I wonder if he feels like that Van Gisbergen making a move 
through the kink and the run into the cutting was too much. And uh, maybe that's what led to him going in the wall. Well, there could be some feathers flying at Phillip Island, or the flightless birds. We need to take a break here on Inside Supercars. Plenty more when we return. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Bort Radio Facebook page. Hi, I'm Nick Perkett from HHA Racing. You are listening to Inside V8 Supercars. Tune in each weekday morning for a fast-paced look at V8 Supercars with Supercars Today. It's a short, sharp look at what's happening across the V8 Supercars world. The only, only things Ross is ever critical on are things that are going to make the car go faster or be going to make the race team look better. So he's um he's he's honestly taken on board the the team and, and almost you know it's it's great to see how much actually he's passionate. In Supercars Today each weekday morning at sportradio.com.au or sign up for the podcast on iTunes. Hi, I'm Scott Pye from Wilson Security, Dick Johnson Racing, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Welcome back to Inside Supercars, where it is Richard Krull and William Dale joining me, Craig Ravel, and we still need to wrap up a couple of little bits before we get to some other major stories, and two cars that seem to have a positive and negative in their front and rear has to be Dale Wood and Jason Bright, the two teammates now with three incidents throughout the year, once at Winton, once at Bathurst, and now once at the Gold Coast. I don't know what you think, William, but I, I was pretty disappointed with Woody at Bathurst and that crash at the top of the mountain. I, I just I, I don't know why under safety car you'd be going that quickly on that bit of road and mm. risk crashing into anybody, let alone the fact that the unfortunate coincidence of your teammate being the first car in the safety car queue that you'd run into. I, I was... And I'm surprised not as much has been made of it because I just thought that was a really poor advertisement for what goes on in the series and racing to catch up to the safety car queue and going at, at that kind of speed when there was really no, no no reason to do so. And, yeah, well, Gold Coast, uh, the collision there was sort of, oh, yeah, that was bad, wasn't it? It's not a good look <laughs> for Brad Jones Racing and those guys, is it? But And they had a really tough weekend. And mm-hmm. Fabian Coulthard was really the only guy that shone, I thought, for that outfit on the Gold Coast, and he sort of popped up in 6th or 7th on Sunday uh, late in the race. I think it was P5 for a while, and we all went, wow, that's a really good effort because, remember, in, in qualifying for race 32, none of them qualified better than 17th, and for a team that we're used to seeing at the front consistently, uh, it was surprising. So I think that was just a uh, another blot on the copybook for what's not been a brilliant couple of months for, uh, for Brad Jones Racing. Yeah, and uh, out of all this, we had uh, another interesting situation on Saturday where we had places reversed between the interview on the ground and presentation on the rostrum where there was the bump and run that I termed it Frosty did a lounge. William? <laughs> yeah, that, that, sounds, that sounds about right. It's, except um, Frosty, of course, didn't get away with it. Yeah. Um, I don't know that Craig I, got away with it either. And I will I'll put this on the line now. Craig was less at fault than Frosty. Frosty made a deliberate bump on a car that was get out, going out of the corner without the car in front making a mistake. Oh, for sure. But I do think... Tim Edwards made a very, very good point afterwards in saying that we have a system where we go back and we look at, we can look at the data, we can look at what every everyone in the incident was incident was doing as to whether, and we look at whether Mark could genuinely have avoided running into the back of Tim Slade's car, or as Tim Edwards put it, Slade drove into the front, driving into the front of Mark's car. <laughs> and I don't, I don't honestly, yeah, I honestly don't understand beyond getting a result for the TV audience, why 
that needed to happen there and then. Uh, I personally, I I think they should have gone back and had a look at it. I could tell you this much, Richard. If they went back and looked at it, a penalty of a drive-through would have yep. been applied, and that would have put him a hell of a lot further back. Yeah, and, and that's what we discussed at the track in the media room after the race, and believe me, that got talked about all the way through dinner, dessert, <laughs> the final beer of the night, and as we were walking back to the hotel, it was the topic of discussion, and everyone was talking about the bump and run. Um, I, I agree with your last comment in that, Frosty, assuming that we all agree, or that at least the race control agree, that he was definitely in the wrong and moved him out of the way to take that position at the line on the final lap, final corner of the race, he was lucky to not have been given a stronger penalty because in the past we have seen bigger penalties for drivers that move other cars out of the way to get by. And you bang on, Craig, that, that had he been penalised the equivalent of a drive-through penalty, which at that place I think was about 36 seconds, it's quite a long, slow pit lane, it would have dropped into the bottom half of the top ten. So as it was, they flipped the results right very, very quickly once they made that call. The other thing I think with that incident was that if he whacked him once, it was probably 50-50, but he whacked him once and then drove him for quite a bit and you could see Slady applying the opposite lock on the car to try and correct the slide. It was almost like the police driving you see in those police driving videos where they pick the car in front to try and spin them out. So I think that was probably where Jason Bargwana looked at it and went, yep, he could have backed out of it perhaps and not had Slade so sideways or needing to put so much opposite lock on to save the flight. That's my opinion, anyway. And as for making the decision straight away, I, I think Frosty probably got lucky in a way. So worth a discussion, though. Man, there was a lot going on at the track afterwards. Mm. Now, there is a mathematical chance, as, as Jamie Winkup put it, he could choke and lose the <laughs> sixth championship. But right. none of his competitors are saying that they're fighting for it. They're fighting for second now, William. Well, with a deficit of 402 points and 600 to collect, you can hardly blame them for having that sort of mindset. They shouldn't as race car drivers, but it, it is what it is. I mean, it's going to be very hard, nigh on impossible for anyone to claw, claw back that gap without Jamie having, say, a Hamilton moment and riding off his car on Friday at Phillip Island and not getting out for the rest of the weekend. I was thinking a Webber moment where he has a mountain bike crash in between races. <laughs> Oh, all that. Oh, yeah. Oh, look, I, I I agree with Will that no, they shouldn't write themselves out because there's still plenty of racing to go. And we all know, Sydney, that even if they're, what, there's 300 points up for grabs at that final round, and even if they're 299 and a half behind, that, that place just is so bruising and can be so hard that, that there would still be a chance, no matter how small. But... He's not going to lose his championship. There is no way conceivable that he can do it. It's just been such an amazing performance this year. And, and it's remarkable, isn't it, boys, that no matter how competitive this championship is, and I think on balance, even though we dropped three cars from last year, the field itself is probably compressed. I think it's closer. And if you go back and, and do the numbers on average qualifying margin 1 to 25, I, I bet you it's closer than it was. The standard's so impossibly high, and yet here he is, two rounds out with a 400-point lead. And, and what are the maths? Can he not wrap it up with 48 points over his nearest rival at Phillip Island? Yep, it's, he can. Yeah, it's, it's pretty remarkable that he's got to this position. And Rob Margett at Auto Action wrote a really good editorial today about Jamie's mm. position and the fact he's going to be a, a six-time champion and people still knock him. I think this is 
assuming he wraps it up, this is probably his best championship just because the competition. Yeah, how far back he was. Yeah, exactly. Well, exactly. Yeah, you look, yeah, at, and you look at the results that he's put in, put together since Hidden Valley. He's yeah. won out of those sixteen races. He's won. He's won eight of them and yeah. hasn't finished lower than seventh. It's yeah. incredible consistency that no one else has gotten even close. Mm. Well, even even when they get it wrong, they still finish fifth. Mm. And that's the remarkable thing, isn't it? That their their biggest mistake of the year is a P five at Mount Panorama. Mm. So especially the second half of the year. So. On that basis alone, they deserve to win the championship, I think. Mm. Now, we're running out of time here, but we do have to talk about Wilson Security. Well, they're about to have been on more bonnets than Will Davison's name's been on side of windows as they move to Volvo next year, William. Yeah, and that's, you've got to be happy for Gary Rogers to have secured that. And it's rather clear the um, rather empty bonnet that those, that those Volvos have been carrying throughout the season. I'm sure that's a rather sizable chunk of their budget that they've not been getting in 2014. So you'd think it'll be interesting to see what that addition of funds does for the competitiveness of the cars, considering they're pretty much rocket ships at the moment anyway, and yeah. what it potentially means for the identity of the second pilot. Mm. Yeah, yeah will, will David Wall go over with him because he's got such a great relationship long-term with Wilson? Got a feeling that it's not. I'm also starting the rumour, guys, that it'll be an Ambrose... Murphy, DJR Team Penske rumor. So, <laughs> really? if you want to, if you want to quote Inside Supercars on any of your publications, just uh, just remember you heard it here first. Racing the Enduros. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ambrose, Ambrose will get a first taste of the cars at Lakeside at a ride day, and then he's coming to Sydney for the 500. What does that mean, William Dale? Uh, uh, I'm I'm wrapped, to be completely honest. I mean, it's. Conti- when you consider that, as we've just stated, Jamie's likely going to have the championship wrapped up rather neatly long before a wheel turns at Sydney 500. It's a hell of a storyline to be wheeling out for the end of the year. And yeah. you know, we, we know what he's been doing over in the States for the last X number of years. We know he's, d- despite what some of the people have written about him, you know, t- spending all that time turning left, the guy hasn't forgotten how to road race. He showed that at Watkins Glen. He showed that at Sonoma. He showed that at Mid-Ohio, wherever else. The, the corners have turned right as well. So it's going to be fascinating to see where he stacks up now compared to the rest of the V8 supercars field. And when you think that he's going to get basically three test days in that car this year before he heads out at Sydney at um, Sydney Olympic Park, yeah, he should he should be not too far away. And you know what? I think Scotty Pye is a really good benchmark for him that weekend too because he's been doing a ripper job this year and on occasion he'll pop up inside the top ten Especially on race pace and the way that team, they might not lack, might not have one lap speed, but over a race they're pretty good. Um, I, I think Scotty's going to be a really good benchmark for him. Oh, it's fantastic news, isn't it? And what a boost to the Sydney 500. As you mentioned, Will, that the championship's more than likely to be done and dusted by we get there. It's got to be worth 5,000 tickets to the promoter. It has to be because there's so much hype about him coming back and so much interest in what we're all assuming is going to be a, a Wink Up v Ambrose Championship showdown next year, and that might be a bit early to predict, but so many people are talking about it already. Uh, it just It's a nice teaser. It is a really good way to go into the off-season. And if it goes in Jack's top ten or even a, a top five, the, the press out of that weekend will be very, very good. And, yeah, what a good way to go into the off-season. Yeah, it is indeed. We need to take a break here. A final thought up next. 
Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do after, um, take the win off him. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptor family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Hi, I'm David Reynolds from Bottolo Racing Team, and you're listening to Inside Supercars. Final thought, William Dale. I, I hate to refer back to it, but I, I still I still can't get my head around just how impressive Jamie Wincup has been throughout the back end of this championship year. This is a guy who was so far behind, it, and red, the Red Bull cars looked completely out of sorts at different venues this year and they've come back and they've done exactly what they've done the last five years they've gone out they've worked out how to make them faster and when they don't have a race winning car jamie and the team have maximized the performance and the result they've been able to get out of it the only mistake as crowley pointed out the only mistake they've really made was at bathurst and you look at the performances that paul dumbrell's had this year as well that dunlop series drive has been fantastic for his form in the Enduro Cup because, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think PD's made a single mistake. And his his last stint at Bathurst without the cool suit and without any sort of cooling whatsoever, when he got out of the car and was completely shattered, and we all know how fit PD is, mm. that, that was seriously impressive. And he didn't didn't make a mistake. Mm. And that, that, to me, was man of the match for PD for the Enduro Cup. And Richard? Right, I've got three, and I'll keep them very, very short. One... With the additional budget next year from Wilson Security, and as long as they get their race pace sorted, I reckon McLaughlin wins the championship next year, based on what I've seen the last couple of rounds. Two, we need to do something with Phillip Island. I think it lets the end of the season down. I love it. It's one of the best tracks in the world, but as an event, it's a bit of a nothing V8 round. So they need to come up with something major for that weekend. Now, whether that means making the Enduro Cup four races, or even five, the last five, including Sydney... I just feel like we go Sandown, Bathurst, Gold Coast, boom, 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 amazing. And then there's not much at Phillip Island because it's just a couple of shorter races. And then we end the year at, at, Sydney, at uh, the Sydney 500. So I reckon we need to do something with Phillip Island to make it a big splash and have this massive wave of momentum, Phillip Island, get it, uh, in the final yeah. bit of the season. And my very final thought is this great V8 stat and courtesy of uh, the V8 sleuth Aaron Noonan. This weekend at Sydney Motorsport Park is the final round of the Kumo V8 series. And a bit of history could be made because the guy that leads the championship, Justin Ruggier, who came up through the ranks of computer gaming, uh, could win the title in a car that won the Development Series Championship with Tony D'Alberto and the year before that won the V8 Supercar Championship with Rick Kelly. So this could be a car that has three separate V8 titles to its name. So keep an eye out for that. That car will be worth a good bit to Eggleston Motorsport, I would think, if they can wrap up the title this weekend. Well, that's all we have time for this week on the show. Until next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. Inside Supercars.